Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation of Havas Torah initiative. Today, we are focusing on the 19th parak of Shmuel Bet. The parak opens with David very publicly mourning his son, Avshalom. He cries out dramatically. He's obviously deeply pained by Avshalom's death. And he says, if only I had died and not you, my dear son, Avshalom. Despite the fact that Avshalom had rebelled against David, ultimately, he is David's son. And understandably, David is extremely upset as a father. But as the king, this was not the appropriate way uh, to behave. Yoav approaches David and absolutely lays into him. He's harsh. He's very critical. He tells David that all these men who are watching you mourn right now, they all put their lives on the line for you and they fought Avshalom. And now they feel ashamed. They don't feel victorious. They feel ashamed. You should be celebrating their victory, not undermining them and their support for you. And if you carry on this way, David, you will have no supporters by nightfall. Yoav here is playing his role to perfection. He is the hardened general. He is the strategist. You might even say he's being too harsh here and not understanding enough for David's very real grief. But it seems that ultimately, Yoav is correct and David listens to his rebuke, which I'll say it parenthetically, is also a great hallmark of, of David's greatness, that he's able to hear the criticism of others. And David recognizes that Yoav is correct. And so he sets aside his personal grief and he goes out to the people to bless them, to thank them, and to demonstrate his appreciation for what they did, uh, an act of support rather than undermining them by showing his own grief. The whole moment is consistent with what we've seen in the last parak. David uh, didn't want the men, after all, to kill Absalom because David is thinking like a father, while Yoav uh, inserts himself and asserts himself as a, as a as a kind of cold but ultimately correct strategist, and uh, and and he does what is ultimately really in the best interest of not only the nation but of David himself. Unfortunately, though, this, this tension will draw a wedge between David and Yoav. And, uh, and we will see the, the outgrowth of that wedge very shortly. In any event, this little narrative draws to a close. And now it's time for David to get back to his throne, back to the business of being king. Something that we may have assumed would be uh, kind of just the natural continuation of the events. Something that would happen immediately following Avshalom's death. But we quickly realize that things are not quite so simple. David is still in the Transjordan. And we're told that there is some opposition to David's return to the throne, to Yerushalayim. It seems that the northern tribes are ready to bring David back, but not so for his own tribe, ironically, the tribe of Yehuda. Remember, Avshalom went to Yehuda. He went to Hebron to become the anointed king and to rebel against David, which betrayed a certain sense of resentment towards David felt by Yehuda. The fact that Avshalom could turn to Yehuda, could turn to Hebron to find support, shows that they must have felt... Uh, a little bit of distance from David, maybe a latent sense that David had betrayed them by establishing his seat of power in Yushalayim, which is something that we have discussed. And so perhaps now, they also fear, uh, in, a, in addition uh, to that general kind of low-level resentment, they also feel a, a certain fear of reprisal from David, because they were the ones, after all, who threw their support so uh, forcefully and early on behind Avshalom. And so now... Yehuda remains this holdout to bringing David back. David responds to this by trying to win them over. And he sends word to them. He asks them, why have you not 
uh, brought me back? Why are you unwilling to bring me back? After all, you are my kin. You are my brother. So he's playing up that connection once more. And then David makes a very loaded gesture. He says that he will take Amsa, who is Avshalom's general from the tribe of Yehuda, of course, and he will take him as his own general, his own secretary of defense in place of Yoav. And this was basically the ultimate way for David to show that, A, he wasn't going to seek retribution from Avshalom's supporters. After all, this was Avshalom's number one supporter, Amsa. And also he was showing special favor to Yehuda, which is what they so obviously desired. In addition to that, this was also a huge slap in the face to Yoav. We can understand why Yoav, why David wants to demote Yoav from an emotional standpoint. Yoav killed Avshalom and he berated David for grieving Avshalom. But ultimately, Yoav, we know as the reader, or we, we think, it's complex, but I, I think Yoav did the right thing. And it could be argued that he single-handedly saved David and his kingdom and saved David from himself. So to demote Yoav and put in his place the opposing general, that's really quite the insult. But uh, it does the trick. Politically, at least in the short term, it does the trick. The people of Yehuda are, uh, are pleased, are appeased by this act, and they throw their support now once again behind David, and they bring him back from the Transjordan in a, uh, a ceremonious moment, of uh, a crossing of the Yardin. And then, following this little account, we have a series of encounters which are, in a certain respect, tying up loose ends from previous prakim, and in a certain respect, also setting us up for what is to come. The first person to come running to David is our old friend Shimi ben Gera. You'll recall that as David was leaving Yerushalayim, Shimi ben Gera ran over and was cursing David and throwing rocks and dirt at David. And now we have, as the readers, the satisfaction of seeing him come slinking back to David, uh, eating crow as he apologizes for his behavior. Avishai, uh, ever the zealot, one of David's major uh, generals, um, tells David not to accept this apology, not to accept this apology, that Shimi deserves death for his affront to the anointed of God, to David. But David is magnanimous, and he says no one will die today, and he excuses Shimi, at least for the time being. Later we'll find that David will instruct Shlomo, his son, to exact revenge on him, but in the short term, he says no, no one's going to die today, uh, and he excuses Shimi ben Gera. Now, Judging who's right and wrong in this exchange is, once again, very difficult. Um, Avishai may seem petty and David may seem kind, but there's more to it, right? Avishai is being principled for the honor of the kingship, and David is excusing an insult, an affront to the kingship, something that David had previously been very keen to defend. Uh, that he de- demonstrated that in the wake of uh, Shaul's death and in the wake of Ishbosheth's death as well. So it's hard to say who is correct here. David may have made a significant misstep. The next account, the next encounter that David has, uh, is certainly a misstep that David makes. Right after uh, this encounter with Shimon ben Gera, we're told that David has returned to Yerushalayim and he encounters Mephibosheth. Now recall that, to the best of David's knowledge, based on the testimony of Tziva, Mephibosheth, um, after David fled Yerushalayim, he stayed in Yerushalayim. He, he planted himself in Yerushalayim to try to insinuate himself into the palace and seize perhaps the throne itself. That was what David was told. Uh, that was the testimony of Tziva. And uh, it was that testimony that led David to 
perhaps uh, a little bit too quickly, hand all of Shaul's land over to Tziva. David had previously given it to Mephibosheth, the last surviving uh, grandchild of Shaul, the son of Yonatan. Uh, and now he returns it back to Tziva, who was the kind of head uh, servant to Shaul. So, now, David encounters Mephibosheth, and he asks him, why didn't you come with me when I left Yerushalayim? And that presumably was David's opening for, to, to give Mephibosheth a chance to either admit his guilt, that he had, um, you know, he stayed there to try and uh, angle for the kingship, or maybe it was just a subtle rebuke. Nonetheless, uh, instead of Mephibosheth apologizing or, or explaining what had gone wrong, instead, David finds out that the story that he learned from Tiva was in fact a misrepresentation, that Mephibosheth uh, did not stay in Yerushalayim to try and, and gain the kingship. He stayed in Yerushalayim because Tziva tricked Mephibosheth into, st- into staying in Yerushalayim. In fact, he prevented him from leaving because, as we know, Mephibosheth is crippled. He's unable to, to, uh, get on the, get on a, to saddle an animal by himself and to leave. And it seems that it's a little bit hazy what the Pazak tells us, but Tziva ensured, basically, that Mephibosheth would not be able to leave Yerushalayim. So now we, as the reader, can fill in all the blanks. Tziva tricked Mephibosheth forced him to stay in Yerushalayim as he, as Tziva, then runs to David and creates this fictional account about how Mephibosheth stayed in Yerushalayim to try and grab power. It's a, it's a really an, a very nasty move by Tziva. And we would expect that David would piece all of this together and then once again remove Shaul's land from Tziva's grip and give it to Mephibosheth, but David is torn. He can't, he can't put it all together. He can't quite figure out who is right and who is wrong here. And instead, he issues a compromised position and he says that the land should be split between these two men. And that's, that's really the wrong outcome here. Tziva seems to be, from every indication, uh, in the wrong, and Mephibosheth very much in the right. And Chazal are very critical of David's decision here. And they go so far as to say that because of David's split decision, splitting Shaul's property, ultimately the kingship and the kingdom of Israel will split as well. So Chazal see this as a great miscarriage of justice with tremendous consequences. Mephibosheth seems to accept the judgment. He even says that Tziva can keep the whole lot. Mephibosheth says, I'm just happy that you're back on the throne, David. Of course, this kind-hearted response only serves to further our sympathies for Mephibosheth, who has been outmaneuvered by the very wicked Tziva and will ultimately now not get justice. Moving on, we then learn that David rewards this individual named Barzillai, who had taken care of David while he was in the Transjordan, which is a nice moment, just purely positive in an otherwise very sticky parak. And then the parak ends with yet more stickiness and more trouble. What happens? The rest of the nation sees how David is accompanied by the people of Yehuda back to Yerushalayim, and they say, why did Yehuda get this honor? David is the king of all of us, and so the other tribes should have been represented in this moment. In short, the people pick up on the increased sense of favor that David is showing deliberately to the people of Yehuda. Right? He had to do that because it was politically expedient. He needed to win back Yehuda, and now that is having... A, uh, a great deal of backlash. The people of Yehuda respond to the, uh, the frustration of the rest of the nation, and they say, firstly, David is our kinsman, so we have a right to uh, be his personal entourage and to have accompanied him back to Yerushalayim. And plus, when have we ever gotten any special treatment uh, from the king for being his tribe? And we see in that double response the way that Yehuda really felt um, that, that they had 
not received any special benefit for being David's tribe, which they felt entitled to. As I said, David played on those emotions to re-secure the kingship by showing them that he is going to uh, show them a bit of favoritism. Um, but uh, as the Torah has taught us uh, in Sefer Bereshis, when you show favoritism, things tend to turn out badly. And indeed, the decision to show Yehuda some favoritism, it was politically expedient for David to try and consolidate his power, but ultimately it will be poisonous for the unity of the nation. So on the whole, just to kind of summarize, because there's so much that we had to cover here rather quickly, but uh, it, it, it's just a remarkably complex parak. David mourns for a son who tried to overthrow him. Is that good or bad? David spares Shimi ben Gera, who insulted the anointed of God. Was that magnanimous? Was that a miscalculation? David demotes a general, uh, demotes Yoav, who acts against David's will, so we understand that, but he's acting ultimately in David's interest and in the interest of the nation. So was him demoting him correct or not? David wrongly issues a compromise decision between Tziva and Mephibosheth. David shows favoritism to Yehuda to try and consolidate his popular support, but that favoritism proves deleterious to the national unity. Every move has these un- unintended consequences. Nothing is simple, and right and wrong continually grow harder to discern. That's it for today. Chazaf ve'ematz and happy learning.